Welcome to Murder in the Air Mystery Theater. I'm your host, Lori Fagan. In this podcast series, I'll interview authors who will then read their mystery, suspense, or thriller short stories or a chapter from their published books. In addition, sprinkled throughout the coming weeks, the podcast will feature radio theater-style sections from the audiobooks for my three crime fiction novels. There will be prizes, too, so stick around to the end to find out how to enter. On today's episode, author Margaret Morse of Phoenix, Arizona, reads from her paranormal crime fiction mystery called Murder Casts a Spell. Before she turned to writing fiction, Margaret worked as an attorney for the Maricopa County Public Defender's Office, handling cases in both adult and juvenile court. So it would make sense that she would feature an attorney in her Petra Rakowitz series. Welcome to the show, Margaret. Thanks so much, Laurie. I really appreciate you having me here. I'm so glad we could. Now, Margaret, your writing genres include mystery, suspense, and urban fantasy. Now, six of your short stories have been published, two in Arizona Attorney and four in Sisters in Crime Anthologies, sponsored by the Desert Sleuth chapter. Your attorney protagonist, Petra, also discovers along the line that she has magical powers. What initially attracted you to the paranormal world? Well, a couple of things. First off, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, urban fantasy writer uh, Jim Butcher. Uh, He writes a series called the Dresden Series about a magician who lives in uh, Chicago and does all kinds of crazy, wild things. His books are very entertaining, uh, especially as uh, audio books. So he kind of inspired me to think that you could write uh, crime fiction with paranormal elements. Also, writing about the paranormal is just plain fun. You can take uh, everyday things and just go beyond the everyday and have fun with things. You can have characters who read minds, who shapeshift, and who levitate. Now, you have to be careful as a paranormal writer not to be too crazy, and you have to set limits on the magic. But it does allow you to explore everything, all kinds of things beyond the uh, normal everyday life. And I totally agree with you about the Jim Butcher series. I love that Dres- the Dresden Files as well. And, and only listen to the audiobooks because of uh, James Marsters, the narrator for that particular series, who just does an awesome job. So, uh, Margaret, a lot of people like to know what your writing process is like. Tell us a little bit about when the best time is for you to write. We get up at a ridiculously early time, like three or four in the morning, and walk the dogs and do chores. And I procrastinate and procrastinate until finally around 10 o'clock, I think, oh, no, it's going to be lunchtime and I haven't written a word. So I get inspired to usually write between uh, 10 a.m. and noon, have lunch, and then I kind of go into a siesta slump time. But I uh, come alive again between about 3 p.m. to 6. I sort of revive. So I have a morning and an afternoon shift for my writing. There you go. Very good. Well, and it just does take time to kind of figure out what is the best schedule for you. Um, what's the most surprising thing you've discovered about writing? I would say uh, it's the way readers react. Uh, they find things funny that you didn't know were funny. They uh, find violence upsetting or they think you don't have enough or you have too much. 
they like some characters and don't like other characters, and they they just surprise you with their reactions. But their the reactions are fun, and they uh, teach you about your writing. Good point. So, what are you working on next? I'm kind of working on two things at one time, which is hard for me. Uh, but I'm working on the fourth installment in my Petra Rakowitz series. Um, it involves a uh, a man who is cursed, he thinks, by his ex-wife into a bird shape for many years. And when he's returned to human form, uh, a murder occurs, and uh, he's, he becomes a suspect. He's just turned back into a human being. And so Petra has to help him out and try to solve that case. So it involves solving a murder case plus all kinds of magical elements. So I'm having kind of fun with that I'm about a third of the way through. And I also have another book I've written. It's complete, and it's uh, being sent around to publishers. It's about a reclusive lawyer who gets a vampire as a roommate, and the only way she can get rid of the vampire is to uh, solve the murder and prove that the the vampire didn't do it. And it's uh, sort of a light touch on the whole vampire thing. And uh, that's already completed, and it's kind of being sent around right now. Wonderful. That sounds great. So you've been keeping busy, that's for sure. Margaret Morris is now going to read from Murder Casts a Spell. It's a crime fiction book featuring a lawyer sleuth, Petra Rakowitz. She practices criminal law in Phoenix, but a city different from the one you may know. It's a magical place. Wizards and witches live openly alongside non-magicals. At the start of the novel, Petra thinks she has no magic powers. The story opens with Petra going to a justice of the peace court to represent her law firm's investigator, Keegan Flynn. He's accused of harassing his ex-girlfriend. The court is located in a strip mall. We first meet Petra in the parking lot where an older man in tattered clothes approaches her. The old guy blocked my way to the courthouse. Pockmarks cut into his face. Rips and stains disfigured his shirt. I scanned his ruined face and our eyes met. Startled when his gray irises turned green, like mine, I paused. He shoved a clipboard at me and mumbled something. The only word I understood was sign. Sign what? I asked. The parking lot asphalt, heated by the desert sun, burned up through my black flats. Two of his front teeth were missing. He tapped a clipboard with a grimy fingernail. Op, persecution, izzard, he mumbled. I pulled the clipboard from his hands, curious about his agenda. The top sheet had spaces for 20 names. Pranksters had written Harry Potter and Merlin the Magnificent in the first two slots. Below these imposters, I recognized the names of three colleagues in the criminal defense bar. The statement at the top read, Wizards Against Injustice presents a petition to prohibit discrimination against persons of magic blood in legal proceedings. It's a little vague, I said. My response disappointed him, for his wrinkles turned down. You do have an argument about equal protection under the law. He shook his fist at the largest storefront in the strip mall, formerly Food Giant, now the South Central Phoenix Justice Court. From inside the building, a security guard peered at us. I retrieved a pen from my briefcase. In spite of the imprecision of the wording, I agreed with the sentiments of the petition. 
watching me sign, the old man's eyes shone, and all the lines in his face turned up. When I returned the clipboard, he studied my name. He scrunched up his face and made a supreme effort at enunciation. Miss, may, our, lady, bless you. When he pushed air at me, a draft chilled my skin. I realized he may have sent a spell at me, so I thrust out my arms as if I could send back his magic, although I have no wizard powers. My vision sharpened so much, I saw the pores in his crusty skin. The stains on his shirt formed into jagged wounds that dripped blood. I blinked, wanting to clear the delusion from my eyes. A tingle crept down my arms. My head went giddy, and I tottered. A strong hand gripped my shoulder. Hey, Ernie, that's no way to treat a lady. My tight muscles relaxed at the appearance of Keegan Flynn, the investigator and office manager for my law firm. Six feet two and slender, he had the agile body of a man who landed on his feet. With Keegan's touch, my vision returned to normal. I stood steady, business gone. I think he tried a blessing spell, I said, but it went wrong. I'm okay now. Keegan moved in front of me and confronted the old man. This is a bad place to mess up a spell, Ernie. Security cameras everywhere. Protector wizards inside the courthouse. You don't want to be busted again for botching a spell. Ernie stared at us, eyes eloquent with his passionate, garbled thoughts. Keegan pulled out a card. It read, Rev Vivant, the circus his family owned. Take this to the back door. They'll help you out. He made a circular gesture in front of Ernie's face. May the blessings of Our Lady be with you. Ernie shuffled off, hugging the clipboard, a shield against life's onslaughts. Keegan shook his head. Wizards against injustice must be desperate if they're using guys like Ernie to peddle their petitions. Sure you're okay, Petra? An unstable wizard like Ernie can hurt people with his messed up magic. It seemed as if a layer of grit had transferred itself from Ernie to me. I brushed at my navy suit and leather briefcase. The encounter with Ernie had derailed me from my focus on Keegan. He was a nuisance. I feel sorry for him, but we need to talk about your hearing. Keegan followed me to the awning that shaded the front of the grocery store turned into a court. Today, he wasn't here as my investigator on a case. He was my client, charged with illegally using a spell on his ex-girlfriend, Felicia Morlotti, to induce her to sign a custody agreement. He'd followed my instructions and dressed in a dark suit and blue tie. Relying on his own inclination, he'd worn cowboy boots. His dark curly hair, clipped short, always stayed in place. I hoped the judge would see him as a well-dressed, responsible citizen. I have an update for you. My voice came out sharp. I cleared my throat to soften my tone, not wanting to sound like a harpy. Keegan wasn't a client I had to control. He was a friend who needed my help. Did you know your brother, Ira, saw Felicia last night? Keegan went rigid. What did Ira do? He may have helped, I said. Ira left me a voicemail. He said Felicia agreed to drop charges. 
That's good news. It's great. She doesn't show today. The state dismisses. Keegan relaxed against the storefront wall. I can't believe it'll be over this easy. I swallowed. Being a lawyer means handing out bitter pills. It might not be. If the prosecutor thinks you got together with Ira to force Felicia to drop charges, there'll be big trouble. Keegan straightened. You can't possibly think I'd be that stupid. What if the state's lawyer thinks you pressured Felicia, I asked. Will Wentworth's the prosecutor today. He won't put up with interfering with the witness. Just in case, when's the last time you called Ira or sent him an email or text? Uh, a couple of days ago. Keegan tugged at his tie as if it were choking him. Ira did leave me a garbled voicemail late last night. I listened to it this morning, though. I thought he was drunk. Ten minutes later, I got a text from my mother. Ira had just showed up at her place. He was coming out of one of his episodes. You mean like a psychotic episode, I asked. It begins with a flashback when he was a kid. Keegan frowned, lowering his eyes to study the square toes of his boots. He loses touch with reality, thinks he has to fight everybody. I thought of all the ways a visit with Felicia by a mentally unbalanced Ira could mess up Keegan's case. Can the state in any way document that you communicated with Ira right before his visit to Felicia? He shook his head but didn't look at me. I paused until he made eye contact with me. Is there something important about your case I need to know? I can't represent you if you're not truthful with me. Ha, yes, you can. Your clients lie to you all the time. Keegan grinned. His teeth shone white. I've told you everything I think you need to know. My phone alarm chirped. I'd set her for five minutes before court, which never started on time. If I were as right and Felicia doesn't show, that's the best case scenario. If Felicia does show, who knows what she'll say. Keegan held up his phone and showed me a picture of his 15-month-old son, Oscar. The kid had a fat face and a mop of curly brown hair. I'm fighting for my child. I will let nothing interfere with my relationship with him. Felicia wants Oscar all to herself. I'm counting on you to kick her butt. That's, that's my job. I'll do it no matter how irritating you are. I smiled to show we were still pals. Besides digging out evidence to help clients, Keegan managed the computer system for the firm. He was a good investigator and a good friend. I squared my shoulders. Let's get out of the heat. I'll see if I can get any news from the prosecutor. Automatic doors whooshed open. I went left through the electronic checkpoint for non-magicals. Being a wizard, Keegan went right to be wand scanned by security for potions, powders, or magical devices that could disrupt the court. Keegan would have to wear a clear glass pendant that would turn red if he tried any spells. Today I had to fight for Keegan in this remodeled grocery store. Metal benches lined the hall outside the courtroom, packed with men whose hard lives had tattooed their faces with turned down lines. I left Keegan in front of a stand of brochures. So you're in small claims court and entered the courtroom. 
which was filled with people but wasn't in session. The interior had the same plan as a church, with wooden benches like pews and a raised platform in front for the presiding priest, the judge. Voices buzzed from the scruffy occupants of the benches. To the right of the judge's seat, a chain gang of inmates sat hunched in the jury box. A chunky man, shaved head shining under a fluorescent light, stood up in front from the prosecutor's table. He scanned the crowd, his steely cop's eyes stopping at me. He approached, and I extended a hand. Detective Snyder, good to see you. You too, counselor. I hear we'll be crossing swords over Keegan Flynn. I had my wits sharpened this morning, I said. A ripple went over his lips, which I'd learned was his version of a smile. Got a voicemail from the victim. Said she wanted to drop charges. You might get lucky with a no-show. My insides unwound. Maybe Ira had talked Felicia into dropping the case. I'd been afraid to believe he'd been successful. You never know in these ex-girlfriend cases, I said. Over at the prosecutor's table, I grinned at Will Wentworth, whom I'd known since my days as a public defender. I tapped Keegan's file. From what Snyder says, you might not have to spend much time on this case. Victim Felicia Morlotti doesn't show. You dismiss. We all leave a little early. Miss Morlotti called my office twice while I was in court this morning, Will said. Claims she changed her mind about pressing charges. You know anything about that? I certainly haven't talked to her, I said. She's already late. I subpoenaed her for half an hour before the hearing. My heart beat faster as I left the courtroom. Maybe I wouldn't get the case dismissed. In the waiting area, Keegan stopped pacing and looked at me with brows raised. There's a glimmer of hope, I said. Felicia has called the cop and the prosecutor, saying she wants to drop charges. You know her pretty well. What do you think she'll do? He made a sour face. She'll do whatever is most annoying. Let's sit down. I patted the bench, already warm from other bottoms. Every case I've ever had in this court has started late. I got out my laptop and reviewed a legal memo on whether the cops had honored a client's request for his attorney. My mind went numb from the legal jargon. One hour after the scheduled time for Keegan's case, Detective Snyder left the courthouse and strode out, not looking at us. Looks like he got a hot call. I hoped it meant Snyder wasn't needed anymore on Keegan's case. I began working on a motion to suppress. The thought that Keegan hadn't told me everything was an itch in the back of my head. I couldn't scratch away. Unable to concentrate, I shut the computer. Five people left the courtroom. Looks like that hearing is finished, I said. I'm going to see if I can find out anything. Before I could move, Snyder charged in through the front door, bypassing the security check. A uniformed cop stomped after him. Snyder pushed a palm at me as if he were stopping traffic. Miss Rakowitz, step aside. Keegan Flynn, you're under arrest. Keegan went rigid. You're crazy. My mind raced with possible charges from threatening to interfering with judicial proceedings. I held my place next to Keegan. My client chooses to remain silent. What is the exact charge? Snyder fixed hard cop eyes on Keegan. 
the murder of Felicia Morabati. A spasm disfigured Keegan's face. I wished to comfort him because he was in anguish, but the uniformed cop clamped onto Keegan's arm. Keegan slammed his forehead onto the cinder block wall and moaned, Felicia, Felicia. I tugged at Keegan's sleeve. Don't fight them. It won't help. At my touch, Keegan shuddered and went limp, and the cop cuffed him. I didn't believe Keegan killed Felicia. His surprise and relief looked genuine when I told him she was going to drop charges. He wasn't a good enough actor to fake such a natural reaction. If he'd kept secrets from me, it was probably about something that would now seem trivial. Charged up with adrenaline, I needed to do something for him, so I got in Snyder's face. What kind of evidence do you have? He clamped onto Keegan's shoulder. I've got plenty. Still holding Keegan's sleeve, I tightened my grip. If only I could transfer hope and strength to him. But I wasn't a magician. I knew when I let go, he belonged to the cops. Lawyer words came out instead of words of comfort. Listen to me. Keep your mouth shut. Don't say a word. I released him and pointed a finger in Snyder's face. He's invoking his right to remain silent and wants a lawyer. You're my lawyer. Keegan's voice would stretch thin. It was my turn to swallow a bitter pill. I can't. I'm not death qualified. I'll let your family know they need to hire someone. I'll stand in until they get a death penalty lawyer. At my mention of the death penalty, Keegan's face froze in his grimace. He had shut himself off from me. Snyder and the cop propelled him out of the building. Thank you so much, Margaret. And that is the end of the first chapter of the paranormal crime fiction novel called Murder Casts a Spell by Margaret Morse. Margaret Morse is also a founding member of the Murder and Magic Fiction Lovers Bistro group on Facebook, and her novels are on Amazon. You can find out more at margaretmorseauthor.com, and the details are in the show notes. Come back next time when on episode number four, you'll hear more segments from Frightful Funhouse from the crime fiction novel Fade Out. And on episode number five, join us when author Howard Gershkowitz will read from his medical thriller, Not On My Watch. If you are listening on the podcast platform of your choice, please subscribe and leave a review or provide us with some feedback. If you're on YouTube at Read Lori Fagan, please subscribe, give us a thumbs up, and click on the bell to be notified when a new episode has been released. And for more freebies, check out our Patreon page at Murder in the Air Mystery Theater. Remember I mentioned prizes? At the end of each of these Murder in the Air podcasts, we'll have a drawing for a prize from those who follow Read Lori Fagan on Facebook or Instagram. And in the comment, write murder to be entered in a drawing. We'll have drawings for free ebooks, chances to win your name in a novel, and other fun items. So go to Facebook or Instagram, follow Read Lori Fagan, and write murder in the comment. For more information, you can visit readlaurifagan.com. Thanks so much for listening, and come back again for more Murder in the Air. <laughs>